0: Welcome to Rex's Bible Minute, a weekly video where we uh, study the Bible and try to let it say what it says. We're in week number 11 of our study of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 8 today, and we're going to cover the whole chapter. Uh, by point of recap, as always, the whole point of the book of Exodus, and specifically this story that we're looking at, uh, it's all about God acting on behalf of His people, that He is the undisputed, uh, ruler of the universe and that there's nothing and no one that can oppose him and the the point of the book of exodus is him announcing that it's showing how much he cares for his people and the terrifyingly ways he proves that through acting on their behalf um, as always each one of these studies is meant to be uh, looked at um, with the understanding that you've watched the ones that came before uh, otherwise, we'd be here for a really long time every single week, making sure we look at the context because we want the Bible to say what it says, not what we think it says. So all that being said, let's go ahead and read today's chapter and we'll, uh, we'll break it down. So starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go so that they may serve me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole nation with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs. They shall come into your palace, into your bedchamber and your bed, into the houses of your officials and of your people, and into your ovens and kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up, up on you, and you, on your people, and on you, all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, the canals, and the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same by their secret arts and brought frogs up on the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said, called Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take away from me and my people the frogs, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Kindly tell me when I am to pray for you and for your officials and for your people, that the frogs may be removed from you and your houses and may be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, As you say, So you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall leave you and your houses and your officials and your people. There shall be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs that he had brought upon Pharaoh. And the Lord did as Moses requested. The frogs died in the houses at the courtyards and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats throughout the whole land of Egypt. And they did so, and stretched out his hand and his staff with his staff, and struck the dust of the earth, and gnats came on humans and animals alike. All the dust of the earth turned into gnats throughout the whole land of Egypt. The magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, but they could not. There were gnats on both human and animals, and the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, so that they may serve me. Because if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials, and your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, as will the land where they live. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people live, so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, am in this land. Thus I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign shall appear tomorrow. The Lord did so, and great swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and into his ho- officials' houses, and in all the land of Egypt was ruined because of the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so, for the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord our God are offensive to the Egyptians. If we offer in the sight of the Egyptians sacrifices that are offensive to them, they will not stone us, will they? We must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. And so Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, provided you do not go very far. Pray for me. Then Moses said, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh and from his officials and from his people. Only do not let Pharaoh again deal falsely by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And so Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, then from his officials and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and would not let the people go. So, a lot we just read, but really we just see a few things happen, and it's kind of the same pattern every single time. Moses asks, Pharaoh says no, God shows up, shows off, proves that he is who he is, and that he, he can't be stopped. Pharaoh agrees, Pharaoh changes his mind, next plague. Cycle repeats, right? That's what we're looking at with all of these. Um, Again, if you didn't watch last week's, just a reminder that there are four ways to view this, these these plagues. Um, One is a myth created just to teach the lesson about god we reject that one the second one is that there are these are just natural events that happened you know it was a sequential thing like you know you had a disaster because of a bio or something turned the rivers red and then you know that that caused the fish to die or caused the frogs to leave which caused the gnats which caused the flies which caused the disease which caused the blah 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 blah, blah. right we reject that too um, as the entire answer. Um, and then there's uh, the literal, that everything is exactly as it's written, that there's no space at all for uh, natural events to be used by God, that everything had to be supernatural. We reject that one. Uh, we, we're looking at this through the lens of understanding that God can use the natural resources, the natural world, to communicate His messages. So it is, it's a hybrid approach, that every one of these is absolutely a miracle, but we're not putting our head in the sand to believe that God wouldn't use things like a Bioalgae, or, you know, a flagellate or something like that to to cause these things to happen, that God absolutely can use the natural world he created to perform miracles. So uh, we're looking at these through that lens, that we're not too focused on whether or not they're super literal, they happen exactly like this, or whether it was just a natural thing, like we're we're just trusting that God is the one doing the acting here. That's what we're focusing on, that God is announcing himself on the world stage in a massive way, and he is showing that there are no gods in Egypt. That's kind of the point, right? So this uh, this this plague that we look at this second one. The first one was the Nile and all the waters in, in Egypt turning to blood. The second one is the frogs, right? So the Nile is famous for having frogs. It always has had frogs, a lot healthy frog population, lots of them, um, and therefore uh, there's a goddess uh, called Hect. Who is associated with frogs, right? Um, she is the giver of life goddess. She's the the patron of midwives and, and childbirth. Like that's that's the that's what she's associated with. She's also the consort for the creator god K'num. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. And so she's associated with the creation of new babies. Like that's that's who she is. She is part of the giver of life goddess. And it's also important to remember that not every frog was associated with there special frogs, that kind of thing. But anyways, we see that, that, that with the frogs, we see chaos escalating, right? If the gods are there to create order, right? That is what makes Egypt so great. The fact that the Nile floods consistently, the fact that they're able to grow extra food consistently, that they have order to their society. All of this is because the gods provide. And now we're seeing this chaos. It started with the waters, and now these frogs are everywhere. And they're just, I mean, I can't imagine that's fun for anybody to constantly have so many frogs around that they're, like, jumping in bed with you. That they're jumping on you. That they're getting in the way. That you step on them. I mean, they're just, they're everywhere. I find it odd. Maybe not so odd is the right word. But I, I just find it kind of funny that it's intentionally mentioned that they jump in Pharaoh's bed. You know, the heck being the the frog goddess of fertility. Like, Anyways, so we see that the, the the magicians are called in again, like same with the, the last plague, and they're able to recreate it. I don't know what that means, but again, it's important to remember that the magicians are are to be thought of more as like advisors, that they are kind of like... They would be, like, in the United States, like, the cabinet members, like, specific cabinet members are responsible for certain sciences. You have the, the secretary of agriculture, the secretary of et cetera, et cetera. Like, they, these are people who are supposed to be experts in this kind of stuff. That's what the magicians really are. They're supposed to be experts in magic, which means they probably had some form of science or that they, they were using that they called magic. Regardless, they're able to replicate this, and that satif- satisfies Pharaoh. He's just extremely annoyed right like he doesn't want the magicians to fix the problem he just wants to have them prove that their gods are, are able to counter his this god by doing the same thing which uh, again if if I was pharaoh I would be upset I would want them to fix the problem not make it worse by doing it again like anyway so we see that that the frogs are are are, are causing pharaoh to be angry he's frustrated with them and so he caves and he asks Moses to pray that the frogs would go away, to ask his God to, to take away the frogs, which is significant. we will talk about that in a little bit. Um, but Moses it, it says, all right, well, you've got to give me a specific time you want me to pray for this because I want you to know that when they go away, it's because of our God. It's not because of anything else. It's because our God is the true God who who is in control of all things. And so Pharaoh agrees. Moses goes and prays at the specific time and the frogs all go away except in the Nile. Every single one of them just drops dead. It's undeniable that this this new Hebrew god that the Egyptians are unaware of is is truly the real deal. And so Pharaoh has agreed, but then he hardens his heart. Now it's important to remember a couple of things when we read this sentence because it's it's important for two of the plagues today. When it says he hardens his heart, remember that the word heart here that was where they thought of as the thinking center, right? So we would if we were writing this down today, we would say that he hardened his mind, right? That is what we would think of instead of heart. Um, but there's also kind of a, a play on words here. and it, It's kind of, a, in my mind, like a, a satire on Egyptian mythology. Because in Egyptian mythology, uh, when a person dies, their heart gets weighed against a feather. And again, remember, they thought of the heart as the thinking part of your body, but did that person do good or were they bad? And if they were good, well, their heart would be lighter than a feather and they would get to go to the good place. If it was heavier than a feather, they would go to the bad place. Um, there's a really cool scene in a recent TV show uh, called Moon Knight. It's a Disney superhero show. It's it's violent. Don't really, you know, if, that's, if that offends you, don't don't watch it. But they, there's a really good scene where this is shown in that, that TV show and they, they talk about this mythology because that. Superheroes based on Egyptian mythology. Anyway, um, so it, it's kind of every time it says he hardened his heart, it, it's like they're saying they're weighing down his heart. It's like they're saying his his heart is is becoming more and more heavy. Like it's it's like okay, like even by your own standards, you're failing. You're doing the wrong thing. Like your heart is becoming heavier. It's it's becoming hardened. It's getting weighed down. So that's just another level of this to understand that there's also a bit of satire probably going on, and so. Frogs are dealt with. Moses uh, has Moses prayed for Pharaoh. Pharaoh backed out. Pharaoh didn't agree. Keep his end of the bargain, and so God has them unleash the plague of gnats, and all the dust of the land becomes gnats. And this is like like my skin starts to itch just thinking about this. This would be so annoying to have gnats. Everywhere I get bothered when there's one that gets into my house, let alone having millions and probably billions of them just everywhere throughout the all land. There's no escaping from them. That would absolutely be a plague. Um, and the Egyptian god that lines up best with this would be the god Geb, G-E-B is his name. And he is the god of the earth, the god of dust. And he played a crucial role in the Egyptian creation account, but he is the god who owns the earth. You know, So this would be an attack on him. Um, but this, this plague, it, it gets very little uh, space in the account. Like There's not a lot said about it. But it's really one of the more significant ones because it's the one that the magicians are unable to replicate. And it's this plague that makes them tell Pharaoh that this is truly the finger of God. And that's really significant, because what this is, is them saying that their land, their country, is under divine attack. It's an official statement by Pharaoh's advisors. Like, if it's their job to deal with all things divine, this is them saying, yeah, we're under divine attack. Like, this, this is real. We need to deal with this. We need to take this seriously. This is the finger of God. I mean this is something that, that it's used in Egyptian mythology to talk about you know the finger of, of the God Seth, uh, it's famous because it damaged the God Horus or uh, the finger of Thoth. Uh, it was what stopped the, the evil um, Apophis. like it, there's, this is the way they talked about when gods act by the finger of God. And we see that carried on throughout the Bible, which would make sense because the Canaanites have an Egyptian influence. They lived under their oppression for 400 years and they're a dominant superpower. I mean, nations that are next to each other influence each other, let alone nations that own another nation influences it. And so we see things like on the Ten Commandments, they're the, the written by the finger of God. I mean, Jesus uses this language. It, it carries on. But it's an official declaration that, yeah, we're under divine attack by Pharaoh's advisors, and yet he still, still ignores it. says, meh, no, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not giving them what they want. And then we get to the next one. The flies, oh, the flies! This this is would be even worse than that. Just to have millions and billions of flies everywhere. Now, this is uh, an attack most likely on the god Khepri, or K H E P R I. Khepri was the Egyptian god of creation. Uh, more specifically, his, his his big thing is he's the one that that causes the sun to rise. So he's the god of rebirth. But he's always pictured with a fly's head or a scarab's head. So. Maybe it doesn't line up. I think it kind of does. But either way, it's, it's, the point is it's another deity who is being attacked uh, by, with something that he is associated with. This is also significant, too, because we see separation happen here. Now, uh, sometimes we think that all the plagues were just on the Egyptians. But up to this point, the the Israelites had experienced these these plagues as well. They experienced the gnats, they experienced the frogs, and they experienced the the water turned to blood. They were right there along with it. But here is when God starts separating the Israelites from the Egyptians when it comes to the plagues. The, The Israelites are spared, but the Egyptians have to suffer. And so we see that, that the 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 Israelites, they don't have the, the plagues, and that the flies, uh, they, they are destroying the land, but the Israelites' land is is fine. It doesn't get destroyed. It doesn't get eaten up by these bugs. And so, again, Pharaoh agrees. And this time, he's, he comes halfway. He agrees, but he wants it on his terms. He says, you can sacrifice here in Egypt. You're not leaving. And Moses says, no, we can't do that. I mean, primarily because that's not what God asked for, but also because... You know, shepherding societies were looked down upon by the Egyptians. That was, again, you had a long history of being racist towards Canaanite people groups by the Egyptians at this point, going all the way back to the Hyksos period, at least the way I understand it and what I I believe about it. But we see that the, the, the sacrifices would be incredibly offensive to the Egyptians. So Moses says, we can't do that. And so Pharaoh says, okay, fine. You can go just a little ways outside, don't go very far, but you can go sacrifice to your God. And then he asks Moses to pray again, and Moses prays, flies go away, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And we're back to the same cycle. And so when we get to this point, like we, we see something very special here. We see a principle carried on throughout the New Testament. Matthew 5.44 says this, Jesus talking, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Paul expanded on that statement in 1 Timothy 2. He says, So then, this is my very first commandment, God's people shall make petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings on behalf of all people, on behalf of kings, and all who hold high office, so that we may lead a tranquil and peaceful life in all godliness and holiness. This is good. It is acceptable with God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to know the truth. See, it's important to understand the dynamic of what's happening here. Mm -hmm. That a prophet is somebody who delivers a message from God. That is what it is. In pop culture, it's associated with seeing the future or this and that about usually, you know, it's about what's going to happen when that's not what a prophet's job is. Sometimes the messages they deliver are about the future, but really it's just this is a a message from God. It can be about anything. And so you have in this situation with Pharaoh, you have Pharaoh in his court. Moses doesn't have access to it. He doesn't know the discussions that are happening. He doesn't know the decisions that are being made. He doesn't have access to that. But he has access to the heavenly court where god has his court his advisors his his leaders we've, we've talked about this in the past around here that god has a heavenly court where he holds uh, discussions and hears input from the other lowercase gods that he has that's the way the bible uses to describe the, the beings that are on god's board and they make decisions and prophets deliver the messages so moses has access to that one and so when pharaoh Agrees to, 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 to have Moses, he asks Moses to pray for him. We see an acknowledgement of the other court. Right? Pharaoh does, isn't in disbelief. He is acknowledging that there is a, another divine being who is responsible for the, the plagues that are happening to his land. And so he asked Moses to pray. And Moses' prayers are genuine. He prays the things that Pharaoh asks of him. I mean, we see, the, we see this, this recognition of this heavenly court and then Moses taking that. And it sh- you'd think that Moses would be like, well, how about some action first, right? Like, like Pharaoh, how about you, like, you know, let the people go and then we'll pray once we're gone? But it doesn't work like that. Moses ends up praying for Pharaoh on behalf of Pharaoh for Pharaoh's best interest. Pray for your enemies. Moses prays for his enemies, and it costs him. But we have to trust in a higher power. That's the message here. We have to trust that God is bigger than our enemies, bigger than our problems, bigger than the issues we face. That God can handle it. And if it doesn't look like he's handling it, if it doesn't look like what we want, we have to trust. God sees the bigger picture in ways that we don't. So pray for your rulers, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus did, Paul did, John did, Moses did. We don't have an excuse. Hopefully this was enlightening, helped you understand this passage a little bit better, and is useful in your daily life. If you have any questions, reach out. Otherwise, see you next time.